As we close the series today, again, we're going we're gonna to get right to the silent night and all that on Christmas Eve and share that amazing story. But um, for this Christmas, we decided to focus on this idea of making peace. Now, you saw the Advent wreath on the way in, right? You know, that we, we take weeks and celebrate certain things, peace, uh, hope, uh, joy was last week, love is technically this week. Uh, hopefully, you're enjoying the Advent spiral as well from our family ministries and being a part of that. Um, but I want to let you know, for, our, for us, we just know that relationships are a big deal. And they're highlighted in this season, this Christmas season, these holiday seasons. And so we want to talk about the difficult relationships that we sometimes have. And what does it look like to make peace? What does it look like to be someone who is making peace, to be a peacemaker, as Pastor Don challenged us several weeks ago? What does it look like to really do that, put feet to the fire, so to speak, right? Because peace is a big deal. It was a, it was a, from a big picture standpoint, it was really all about the Christmas story. And then if we go to read a little bit from Luke 2 today, uh, you can see the full picture of that. Let's read that first a little bit in Luke 2. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. This is to the shepherds on the hillside. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them and assured them, don't be afraid. He said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today. In Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angels, the angel was joined by a vast host of others in the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Right? The Advent season, this idea of coming and, and waiting and anticipation was what God's people were doing, waiting for the Messiah to be born. Why? Well, there was, you know, we talked about this in week one to help us get a big picture why peace was so important in terms of what Jesus was going to do in, in, you know, coming. That's, that's part of the Christmas story. There was a problem. We go back to Genesis. Sin was the problem and is continually the problem. The solution, we're using the word forgiveness, Okay, you, can, you know, a lot of themes, grace, salvation, forgiveness. The solution that God gave his people was a system, a system that allowed him to forgive the distance, the gap, if you will, that sin created for us. And it all pointed, it all pointed to the ultimate solution, which would be Jesus Christ in terms of freeing us from our sin. Here's what Romans says. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight and he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He was the solution to our problems through his forgiveness of us. And so Chris, uh, Pastor Chris started us in the first week uh, sharing with us a common uh, thread we've been using throughout this series. And that's this idea of forgiveness, right? Because Christ forgave us, we forgive others. The forgiveness is a primary spiritual discipline of all Christ's followers, it's something that we should be known by. It's something that should mark our lives, right? You can be a Christian, you can slap the bumper sticker on and not forgive people, but you cannot be a Christ follower, okay, and not wrestle with what it means to have this primary spiritual discipline in your life of forgiveness. Now, 
You know, we talked about the first week about putting on offenses and taking off offenses and putting down. And, and then <laughs> last week, you know, I talked about the, you know, the response that all of us kind of come back with is, yeah, but what about this? And what about them? And what about that situation? And what about, you know, this circumstance? And we all have those whatabouts that kind of rise up in us. And I said, yes, it is. We do complicate it. You know, forgiveness is messy because of us, because of people. And there is a difference. There is a difference between, uh, oh, sorry, this is Colossians, going to continue to give verses to, to talk about why it's a, a discipline, but then I'll take you to it. Go back to the first part of the verse there, Colossians. I'll read it. God shows you to be this holy people, that's us, that he loves. You must clothe yourself, why this is a spiritual discipline, in tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're going to make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And then I mentioned it earlier. This is where we get that from the verse. Go to the next verse. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Remember the Lord forgave you, so, what's those two words? You must. You must forgive others, right? Now, again, go to the next slide. It is complicated. We do complicate things, okay? And last week we spoke specifically about forgiveness. Go ahead and go to the next slide. A forgiveness given. The forgiveness given, right, that we, can, that we have control over what we do, and we can resolve to forgive offenses, to forgive those hurts and betrayals and abuses. We can, we can do that. We have the power to do that. But there's also forgiveness received, which is actually brings about the fullness of reconciliation. And we talked a lot last week. If this is a place where you're stuck, I need you to go back to last week and listen to that. Because yes, as humans, we do complicate this. We do, okay? Because sometimes it is very difficult uh, when we're waiting on reconciliation and we have forgiveness in mind only if reconciliation, true restoration and reconciliation can happen. And yet that's not what God called us to do in terms of this primary discipline is we, we, we are called to release the debt, to forgive, to give it away, to give it to him. And again, this week, yeah, but what about, but what about, but what about? I get it. It doesn't mean that restoration is going to happen. It doesn't mean that reconciliation can happen. And, and we, we didn't share, go into too detailed last week, but, you know, just to understand. I shared my own personal story of how long something took for me to resolve to forgive, and yet no reconciliation has been found. You know, we're, we're not saying to anyone here, that, that you choosing to forgive an abuser, it means that you're going to have the same relationship with them later. It doesn't mean you stay. It doesn't mean you, you, try to, you try to be open to a relationship that's harmful or hurtful to you or to others. You know, we, we have wisdom in scriptures. We have boundaries to give ourselves. We're not, we're not saying that from a standpoint of blindness. We're saying that you, you yourself have the ability to forgive them. Resolve to let that go. The relationship might have to look different, no matter what. But reconciliation, we wanted you to be open, to pray that God would move to bring about reconciliations. Because we as followers of Christ, we need to be models of that in this society, in this culture. We need to be models of resolved and reconciled relationships. We said last week, peace, making peace, starts within you. This is why, again, we're, we're focusing on us. How do we make peace with the storm and the conflict 
that hurt and betrayal and, and offenses causes inside of us, that, that, that rests within us. I mean, again, we can't control what other people do. We can't control how other people do or don't do things or respond. We can only control what we do. So making peace really does start within you. But here's what happens, and this is where I told you we were going to go today, okay? What happens is that for most of us, we, we might hear that we're supposed to forgive. We might even read and believe that Scripture tells us, you know, just like Colossians, God forgave you so you must forgive others. And yet, we do not resolve to forgive because there is a storm, that storm that I'm talking about, that rages within us that, that kind of, I, I'm, I'm going to put it this way just so you can have a, a picture, but it almost makes it feel like our faith we're struggling to live out our faith versus what we're seeing in our reality and what we're experiencing in our reality. It's like, it's like, well, I'm supposed to forgive, but I don't feel like I can forgive. It feels impossible to forgive. I'm still going to feel the pain. I'm still going to experience the hurt. I'm still walking through the consequences of betrayal. And yet I'm supposed to <laughs> make peace I'm supposed to forgive, and it feels like our choosing our faith is in such stark contrast to living in the reality that we feel. Now, I'm not saying that faith and you know your reality isn't going to be countercultural. It is most of the time, but because it's such a contrast, because you can't seem to get rid of what you believe is true in terms of living out your faith, most of us never get there. We never resolve to forgive. We never work our way towards the possibility of reconciliation because the storm is too great. When we feel like we have to choose one or the other, we choose to forgive, but then our feelings rise up and everything tells us that really that's impossible. I will never let this go. And it feels like we have to live in willful disobedience to God because of the reality that we feel like we are facing. So we're going to address, G, we're going to look at Jesus, his life today. A couple of big examples. Just so that we can begin to understand that Jesus himself, he didn't wrestle with this. He found a way, he found a way to trust in his heavenly father and yet continue to live in the reality and came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, to experience the reality we experience. I love the way John, okay, John, the gospel writer of John, he, he talks about the origins of Jesus, but he, he just skips over the whole baby thing, right? Okay, he just, he's a very thematic writer. He doesn't bother with any details of Joseph and Mary and the baby. And I love this particular chapter, chapter one, that just kind of paints this beautiful poetic, if you will, image of Jesus coming to earth. This is in John 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Speaking specifically to Jesus, that's why the capital W is there. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Skip down to verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. 
he came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed in him, to all who accepted him, again, reconciliation, right? He gave the right to become children of God. Skip to verse 14. The word became flesh. This is the Christmas story, guys. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. John is writing this in a time in which him and the other disciples that still were alive at that time said, we, we have been witnesses to this. His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, say the two words out loud, full of what? Full of grace and, yeah. This is, this is how John, <coughs> in his sort of summary, if you will, picture, theme, paints Jesus. Okay, The solution to the problem came. Peace came. He made his dwelling among us. Because he came from the Father, and he was full of grace and truth. Jesus, as John said, Jesus was, uh, John was a witness to the fact that Jesus seemed to be able to live out in grace his faith and trust in his heavenly Father, all the while acknowledging the reality and the truth of what he was dealing with. He was able to to experience the fullness of both, which is the reason he's our Savior. (laughs) He was able to experience the, the fullness of the pain of humanity, the truth. You know, he wept over Lazarus and what death had caused and what death causes to people. He had compassion on those who were sick and hurting. He experienced the reality, so to speak, the truth, and yet he he never was, he didn't really do this in a conflict to how he trusted God, but he was full of both. He was able to do both and bring together both grace and truth, faith and our reality. So I want to give a couple of examples today. Walk us through. To, to, and we've talked about this, you've, you've, these stories will be uh, common if you've been here at Journey. We've talked about this in the last even six, uh, eight months or so. But these stories really do continue to paint the picture of how you and I are able to model, or, you know, they able to look at Jesus as the model of how we can make peace. We can resolve. We can, we can function in this world, in this life, with our trust in Jesus and live out our trust and faith in God while accepting and understanding the reality of the truth around us. We can do it. And Jesus shows us how. So the first example, we're going to go to Mark 4. Again, many of you maybe know this, uh, this, uh, this example. This is Jesus and his disciples. And that day, when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just, uh, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care? Feel the pain and the emotion in this. 
Don't you care if we drown? Well, he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, peace, be still. Some translations say quiet, right? Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. (laughs) And then Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no (laughs) faith? This is often used as an uh, illustration of just talking about the fear that they were experiencing. And it is true. I mean, the fear is a, a big deal. Fear is just a part of our lives. But Jesus really did have something very specific in mind when he said, why don't you have any faith? Where is your faith? Okay. Where is your faith? You have to continue to go back and put yourselves in the story. Everything about this storm and what the disciples were experiencing, everything that they were experiencing told them that this is a problem, right? I, I mean, every, they had experiences maybe before on the lake, on the sea, in storms, I guess. Maybe they had seen people die, Right? Maybe, maybe themselves, they themselves were close to death. Maybe they had, had heard stories. Right? In, the, in the moment, their emotions were so hot and so overturned, there was not only an external storm happening, there was an internal storm happening. Right? Very common to what we experience. If they would have had social media, social media probably would have told them, and the 24-hour news, 24 news cycle would have probably told them there's a second and third wave they can't see yet that's going to destroy them as well. Right? Maybe. But in all of these cases, everything, and their reality said, we're going to die. We're going to drown. This is it. It's over. But Jesus was taking a nap. And I don't know if we can comprehend this. Okay? I just don't know if we can comprehend this. That while everyone else is freaking out, Jesus is asleep on a cushion. Mark wants us to know that he was comfortable. And I'll be honest, the only thing I can picture, because this is a, I mean, can there, is, there, is there no better physical form of someone currently at peace than to watch them nap, right? Just snoring and drooling and hinge, the jaw unlocks and they just, you know. Think about the person in your family, you may or may not get to see them this Christmas, but think about the person in your family that after lunch or after the big meal, go find their chair or find their spot and they pass out and it doesn't matter how many children are screaming, doesn't matter the chaos around them, okay, that's peace right there, right? Yeah, that's peace, Donnie, that's peace. Jesus is at peace in the midst of this storm. And this is the important part I want us to look at for this example. The peace isn't found in the absence of storms and offenses. True peace is found in the presence of God. That's what this story is about. Peace is not found in the absence of the storm that's that's inside of you because of unforgiveness and judgment and bitterness and grudges. It's not in the absence of those feelings. It's not in the absence of those emotions and consequences. It's not in the absence of the offenses 
we're always going to have those. The peace we're talking about, the making peace that we're talking about, has everything to do with the presence of God in your life. Rarely does God, and I just say this just from my own personal experience, rarely does God ever fully silence a storm. Rarely does, does he step in in the moments that we see these examples. He didn't promise us that he'd do that. He promised, though, he would be with us in the midst of the storm and those feelings and those turmoils and those emotions. Now, if you remember, when we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus gave the example of the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the stamp. We talked about the fact that the storms of life come. They are inevitable, right? Offenses are going to come. Things that you're going have to a, have a hard time. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. You're going to be wronged in life. These are all going to happen. Let me just promise you, they're all going to happen. They are inevitable, Jesus didn't say he would remove those, but he said he would be with us in the midst of them. And so the peace we're looking for has to do with his presence, not within the removal or the absence of those things. And I shared with you during that, that message that, listen, storms, all storms really, really do. That one of the beautiful things that storms do, the rising water, you know, the flood water, the, the wind that beats down, it just reveals where our faith is. It reveals our foundation. It reveals what we're building our life on. I just, I just want you to hear this from my heart. Because I know we're still, we're still kind of in the middle of this. But all the political stuff that you're still dealing with, all the pain and hurt and struggle and offenses and things that you may be feeling, doesn't matter where, where you land on this, everybody's feeling something. There's a reality to this. Right? There's a reality. But listen, I think Jesus wants us to kind of look a little bit more at the fact that when we can't forgive, when we can't let it go, when we can't resolve to make peace about those things, we have to look to where our faith actually is. Because see, when our faith is in our political leaders, when our faith is in the political system, we're, we're going to have problems. It's going to fail us. The things you put your trust in is going to fail you. You know, in COVID, with the uh, response to the pandemic, people are offended and they're getting hurt because of how other people are responding to this. And if you've put your faith in people being reasonable or compassionate or just going to do the right thing, listen, your faith is in people and they're going to fail you. Nod your head if everybody's with me. They're going to fail you. So when you can't get over it, you just continue to be mad. You can't get past the offenses that you feel. I want you to take close, just pay attention. But where is your faith in that? See, your faith is in people doing what you think is right, doing what you believe is correct, bringing peace to you by their actions. Just like when we talked about this idea that, listen, there's an abuser who's hurt you. There's someone at work who's wronged you. There's someone in your family that has done something that you believe is unforgivable. At least society tells you it's unforgivable. And if your faith is in that person coming to their senses, if your faith is in that person realizing and recognizing how they've wronged you, if your faith or trust is in that person ever really truly repenting, 
then you're going to struggle to forgive because your faith is in the wrong thing. I want you to hear this because I think this is important to say. Okay? The reason Jesus gives him this little, <laughs> this little come to Jesus moment, right? We call it that, right? Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Had nothing to do with whether Jesus could or could not calm the storm, right? Because it was clear he could calm the storm. He could stop the storm. What he was telling the disciples is, yeah, me and the boat taking a nap should have been enough for you. It should have been enough. Is that with me? You're all with me? It wasn't that he couldn't do it. It was in the fact that he said, no, no, no. Guys, me at rest in the midst of the storm is all you needed to believe you were going to make it through it. That's all you needed was my presence in the storm. Don't seek God for God to end your storm first. The storm, the emotions, the offenses, the problems, the struggle, the unforgiveness. Don't, don't look for him to settle that before you make those steps of, of obedience and forgiving and letting go, those things go. His presence is all you need. It should be enough. Second example. This is from John 8. Again, we've looked at this in the last uh, six months or so. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? Now, again, John's sharing the motive. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. Just imagine pestering Jesus, right? As he stood up, and said again, or he began to say, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Right? Jesus, I don't know, take turns, right? Just picture this idea. I want the one of you who has not sinned to go ahead and throw the first one. And then he stooped down and again he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's important, this last verse, because uh, a lot of times people look at this and they, they begin to kind of weave some sort of liberal theology in terms of how God views sin. No, God's, even through Jesus we see, Jesus never denied the reality and the truth of who he was with. When he would sit down with them at dinner and people would talk to him, he says, listen, the sick and the lost need me, and that's who I'm here to serve. He was, very, he was always very clear about who he was with and how he saw things. Even for her, he didn't deny the, the act of adultery was wrong or that she was guilty. He just said, go and sin no more. 
Forgiveness is available. Grace is here. Go and sin no more. Sometimes we like to think that we're, um, well, sometimes we like to put ourselves in the stories, but this is one of those stories most of us do not put ourselves in the story because most of the time, who we are in the stories is we are the accusers in the story. We are often caught up with the mob, caught up with the crowd, in offenses, ready to judge, ready to condemn, ready to bring retribution against those who have wronged us personally, against those who have wronged others, but it's something we take personal. And it's not until Jesus challenges their thinking. It's not until this moment where, where they say, well, the law tells us to, to stone her. The law doesn't actually tell them to stone her. The law just had a, a loophole and an opportunity that if you wanted to, 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 to judge and cast judgment on her, that was a possibility. That was a way to do it. It wasn't a demand. It wasn't a command to do. They said, no, 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 that's how we see it. That's how we read it. And, 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 and all of this is done by, by people who want to try to control others, by people who want to put, put other people in their place so that they can feel better about themselves. And guys, that's who we are, okay, most of the time. If you can't, if you can't be honest about that, then I don't know where the rest of the sermon is going to land on you, but, but for most of us, we are the accusers. We are so ready to pick up our stones and to cast judgment on others. It's just, it's just, it's what our reality tells us, and we can always find people to agree, right? Oh, there's a blog, there's a circle of friends, there's a, there's a group on Facebook. That you can find plenty of people who agree and think just like you think. Pick up your rocks to control and condemn and to judge others, because it doesn't just, for you, it's also how it makes you feel. And yet Jesus has to challenge them (laughs) just for a moment, just to challenge them for a moment to remember who they really are in the story. Do you know who we all really are in the story? We're the woman. That's who we are. That's who we are. We are the woman caught in sin. We are the one who needs forgiveness. We are the one who needs grace. Who, are, who without Jesus and without help, we are helpless. That's who we are. And oh, so quickly we forget that. Oh, so quickly we become the accusers about how wrong they are, about what they think, about what they do, about how they, how they are treating that family member, how they are treating someone else, how they are constantly posting, you know, this opinion, how they are, you know, responding to everyone who does, who doesn't agree with them, how they are responding. And yet they forget who they are. And Jesus has to remind them, okay, just take turns. You, you who are, have never been this woman, yeah, you go ahead and throw the first one. And you notice the oldest one started, right? The oldest one because we have a whole lot more sins to remember than the young ones. Well, they all dropped their rocks and and left. Jesus needed to challenge us. I I found this quote. This is a quote from a a pastor in Oklahoma City. Love this pastor, Craig Rochelle. This is a great quote for you to remember, okay? Why, when you can understand why you're the accuser, 
we often judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their actions. Okay? We, we, this is what we do. We judge ourselves by our intentions. I, I, I slipped out in front of somebody at the light. I was looking for the right exit. I was looking for the, for the sign. They honked their horn. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I was, I was looking for this. I'm trying to find the right spot to turn around. I don't know where I'm at. There's always a reason, right? Someone jumps out in front of me. A dumb doofus, right? Can't drive. Needs Jesus, right? Everybody with me? We... When this rises up in you, just recognize it. We are the accusers because we will judge ourselves by what we intend. But we will always judge others by what they've done and every other thing that we've assumed about why they've done what they've done. And Jesus is calling us to respond like him. To respond like him. Now, commentaries argue about what Jesus was writing in the dirt. And I like to imagine, because I don't know, I'm not very smart. I, I don't want to argue with the commentaries. But I like to imagine, because there's one or two people I can find that can argue this. They believe he was scribbling like a list of sins. Right? That he was just sort of like, you know, in the dirt. I, didn't, I don't think he said, I, don't, I can't imagine him going, John, Philip, you remember this? No. He might have just said something like, like lying. You know? Lust. Gossip, right? Cheating. Just, just scribbling some, some things in the sand that would have just been that moment of conviction for those holding the rocks. And I'm just telling you that sometimes when the storm's in you and you're struggling to forgive and you're struggling because your reality says, I can't do it. It just seems impossible. I don't know how to, to, to take this person who doesn't even care that they've wronged me. They don't even recognize it. They don't even acknowledge it. I can't give it away. I can't forgive because of their sin. Part of the process of us forgiving and this primary discipline of forgiveness is just to remember who we are. I mean, Jesus made it pretty clear that if you don't forgive, then I don't forgive. That if you do not forgive those debts, I don't forgive your debt. There was a woman who came and wept at Jesus' feet. With him, washed his feet with her hair, anointed him with very expensive perfume, and everybody got mad about it. And Jesus was looking at the uh, at the uh, Pharisee that was with him, and got really, you know, basically, kind of like stuffy. Like, I can't believe you let her wash your feet. And Jesus said, "Look, to those who have been forgiven much, oh, they love much. But to those who have been forgiven little, they love very little." We're the accusers most of the time. And we need to remember that we have been forgiven much so that we can forgive others. Some of the only way we can do this. So when Paul, Paul tells us this in Romans. So when Paul says, I want you to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. He basically says it twice for emphasis. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 
Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of lower position. Don't be conceited. It's not all about you. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Just because they did doesn't mean you do. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He doesn't say if it's possible, as far as it depends on them doing what's right, acknowledging the problem, fixing the mistake, you know, acknowledging the offense, then you can live at peace with people. He says, no, as far as it depends on you, you're going to live at peace with everyone. That Greek language, I'm not going to get into the deep of it, but <laughs> that whole blessing thing, like bless those who persecute you and bless them again, this is, a, this is the, the, um, the present imperative, which is the idea of I want you to do this. It's a command. I want you to do this, but it's not just do it once. It's a continual doing, right? Continual blessing, right? Be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem, Right? Be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem in your life. And we all sit back with the tension and the storm. And I I know that you're here and I know you're watching online. And as much as I've read and as much as I've said, you're just not sure. How? Well, I want to save the last little bit of, of encouragement for you before we close, but this is the encouragement. This is hopefully to encourage you for the whole series about the steps you can take, the practical steps you can take of increasing your faith and forgiving and resolving to forgive is this promise. Jesus gives us his peace. His peace. Go to the verse. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be. What's the word? Yeah. And do not be afraid. Leave that verse up for me for just a minute. Peace I'm going to leave you. I'm going to give you. But I want you to see this. Jesus didn't say a peace, your peace, your kind of peace, the peace you're looking for, the peace you would like to have, the peace that you would prefer, your peace, or even the peace the world says you should have, or what the world believes should be offered to you. I don't give peace like that. I'm going to give you my peace. My peace is what I'm going to give you. It starts with you. Go to the next or the last, the last line. Making peace starts within you. Here's the encouragement. It's his peace that we're looking for. It's his peace. He came to bring hope and peace and love and joy. That is Advent. And as we live out in these relationships, these difficult relationships where we muddy it up, guys, I'm just telling you, we are the ones who muck this up. He's lived out an example for us to not put our faith in, in, in the storm, you know, in, in the people or in systems that are going to fail us. To know that the storms may not ever die down, the offenses may never go away, but it's his presence that he's offered. 
It's his presence. We need to remember every morning and every time we wake up, we are the woman in the story. We have been forgiven much. And we have a day, a full day of extending grace and forgiveness. Not ignoring the reality. The reality is people are going to hurt you. They're going to offend you. Believe it or not, everyone, someone's going to have a different opinion than you. And you're going to think their opinion is stupid. Right? Believe it or not. We get a whole day of forgiving and letting go and not being offended and sharing grace and sharing hope, reconciling and resolving relationships, making sure that you don't have that storm and tension in you, keeping you out of that full relationship with Christ. And it's not your peace you're looking for. (laughs) Best news in the morning. It's his peace that he gives us. It's his peace. And I hope that's what you're experiencing this Christmas. Let's pray together. Father God, I'll I'll go ahead and confess that um, most of the time, I will drift or defer to wanting my peace. I, I want peace the way I think it should look. I want peace the way I think it should be handled. I want peace the way I think it makes me come out better than anyone else. And yet, God, I, I spend too much time experiencing the tension and the storm in me because of my desire to experience and achieve my peace. And thank you so much for this series and the reminders I've studied and just allowed your word to pour into me that it's your peace that you gave me. It's your peace that I have the opportunity every day to experience and to live out of and to express forgiveness and grace. Just like you lived in the fullness of grace and truth, you gave us that, you gave that to us. God, I'm praying for all of the questions and the folks that have engaged in Q&A, that have been engaged in this series, and they're, they're wrestling. They're wrestling in the relationships, the difficult relationships in their life. They're not sure. They may know that they're supposed to resolve to forgive, but they, they still just doesn't feel like they can. God, give them a breakthrough today by your Spirit. May they just reach out to, to take hold of your peace and your presence that brings that true peace to them. That they may begin to experience your peace in a way that allows them to let it go, to forgive, allows all of us to live in a spiritual discipline of forgiveness for others. We thank you by the power of your word and by your name, Jesus. Amen.